We've been looking into the prophetic scriptures for the last couple of services. And uh, we have, of course, the fulfillment given us in the quite well-known passage in Matthew chapter 1, to which I address your attention. In uh, Matthew chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 18 through 25. And then uh, we'll be considering something that is not always considered, but is very important, and that will be uh, the faith, the characteristics, and the faith of Joseph, uh, Mary's espoused husband. So in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 through 21, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. God here communicates to Joseph, First, there was a communication openly to Mary by an angelic messenger. Then later, Joseph was given a divine dream or a divinely given dream. And uh, this communication to Joseph was absolutely necessary. For what purpose? To keep intact his marriage to Mary his betrothal at this point, which was then considered to be man and wife legally, only much later to come together in consummation. The angel, Gabriel, in revealing God's purpose to Mary, called her blessed among women and made known to her that she was the vessel that God had chosen to give birth to a son who would be named Jesus, that this would fulfill the ancient prophecy concerning the messianic king of David's line who would forever occupy his throne. So the angel, drawing from Isaiah's prophecy, says to her, he shall be great and shall be called the, the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. 
there shall be no end. Mary, the chosen vessel through whom the Son of God would come into this world. Mary, though a young woman of great faith, was necessary or nevertheless greatly perplexed at the announcement. But she did not complain. And uh, such a thing is not possible was not her word to the angelic messenger. Rather, a question. How can such a thing be? Seeing I know not a man, as in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Um, she was perplexed. She was a virgin. She had not yet had a consummation of marriage with Joseph, only a legal binding. How can such a thing be? Being, uh, seeing I know not a man. Well, we know that great perplexity is often a fact of human frailty and severe limitation. It does not always mean the presence of unbelief. She was yet a young woman of great faith. Mary immediately was given a stupendous, a stupendous announcement. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. But then Mary is betrothed to Joseph, making her legally his wife, even before she's brought into his home and the marriage, as we say, consummated. How is Mary, then, who is called blessed among women, if she is with child and the child is not her husband, how is she blessed among women? That was the greatest shame of a woman. The greatest shame of a woman was to conceive a child out of wedlock or one through adulterous situations. We've come a long way from then, haven't we? It's only a very real faith in God and God alone that would lead her to tell Joseph what? Nothing. She didn't tell him anything. She is with child. It's not his. What's he going to think? She doesn't tell him a thing. Nothing. Well, as a matter of fact, if you read Luke's gospel, you find that she went to her cousin Elizabeth's home, not to Joseph. There, of course, John the Baptist had already been conceived, and Elizabeth was the mother, and Zacharias, the priest, was the father. He had a father and mother. He was conceived in the womb before he was born, prenatal. <laughs> he worshipped the Lord of glory. Obviously, he was a person, not a piece of plasma. Correct? Anyway, that's that. <laughs> so, she went immediately to her cousin Elizabeth's house. There was a dilemma. She was with child, 
It was not Joseph. Joseph knew it because they'd not come together. It was a dilemma. Obviously, she trusted God to solve that dilemma for her. As we say, she was a woman, a young woman of great faith. She would not take matters into her own hands and try to defend herself to Joseph when she knew the only thing that would do would be bring confusion to him. So what we have in our present passage is how this great perplexity of Joseph when learning that Mary was with the child, not his, how it was solved and put to rest. We find the dilemma in verses 18 and 19 of Matthew 1. We read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. How that must have hit Joseph. How that must have hit him. He loved Mary. He knew she was virtuous, a virtuous woman. He knew she was a virgin when they were betrothed. Now he finds out she is with child. It must have crushed his heart. What a crushing blow that must have brought to him. The young woman that he loved so much, who'd pledged herself in a legal bond to be his wife, was found with child and wasn't his. So in this sudden discovery, surely he must have had waves of perplexity that came over him. He must have twisted his very soul. Hit him like a hammer crushing his very heart. But even if his heart is crushed, his love for Mary was still intact. For our text reveals that it was not hatred for what she had done to him, but fear that would prevent him from taking her. in this condition to be his wife. So in verse 20, we read, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So obviously he was not going to take her to him to wife. He was going to have this marriage disannulled, if you please, legally, because she was with child, it was not his child. And he didn't treat her with contempt. He wasn't going to say, I'm going to do as much harm to you as I can because of what you've done to me. That's kind of the way of the wicked world, isn't it? It was a fear, but I believe a fear that belongs to a just man, as he is called in verse 19. A fear that moves the heart in its highest principle 
to act in accordance with the will of God and the God who takes very seriously the breaking of the marriage vow. But if this sudden, painful knowledge comes crushing in like a bolt of lightning, it's also the means of bringing to light the character of Joseph. So we read in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to uh, make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily, privately. So if his character is revealed in the way he's dealing with Mary, it shows something else also of no little importance. It shows us the kind of man that God would entrust his very son with. The very man God would entrust his son to. Isn't that amazing? Joseph was a just man, we read in our passage. That one who was governed by and would act upon the principles of righteousness, but not harsh judgmental self-righteousness. And if he possessed a genuine righteousness, it's not something he got by nature. Man does not have that by nature. There is none righteous by nature. No, not one. This kind of righteousness is not in man by nature and is only in those whom God creates a new nature. As the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, considering the new birth that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now we kind of have this dual problem that we still fight with sin, but the new nature does not sin. The new nature is born of God and born in righteousness and true holiness. Of course, we have a different propensity in that regard. So this also tells us that Joseph believed God, like Abraham and like David, of whose royal line he was, by the way. He as well as Mary were of the royal line of David. And through that faith, he trusted God to fulfill, obviously, the messianic promise of a coming redeemer, was saved like those in the Old Testament, looked for the coming of Christ, believed God, believed his word, and uh, so uh, had a righteousness imparted in its principle because it was imputed to him by faith. There's an imputation of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ put to our account. There's an impartation of righteousness that comes in the new birth and is created in one when they're brought to this new birth. But he did not then know that that very Redeemer that he believed would come in believing God was in the virgin's womb, was in the, the womb of his espoused wife. He didn't know that. So... The sense of right and mercy that he had and obviously love for this young woman named Mary. The sense of right led him to put away his espoused wife. 
but the character developed in righteousness and the love still possessed led him to put her away in the least shameful way possible. Of the two ways that were open to him, he could have brought a public lawsuit or he could have quietly given her a bill of divorcement. He chose the latter. An old expositor applied it this way. To put her away was the only course possible, though it racked his soul. And to do it privately or privily or privately was the last gift that his wounded love could give her. It is the principle of sin and self-avenging hate that wants the worst to be done to those who bring us some kind of harm. The principle of true righteousness always operates from the law of love and self-denial, even when right and justice must be carried out. That's a hard thing to learn because of the flesh. What a dilemma. The love he had to this young woman, her character always displayed as virtuous, the highest of character in her. A woman, a young woman of faith. He betrothed her legally, making her his wife before the final consummation and he takes her into his home he finds out she's pregnant can you imagine what a dilemma that put him in but his dilemma was immediately solved dramatically solved by an angelic messenger from God. So we read in verses 20 and 21. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Well, if you truly believe the divine revelation that this child was of heavenly origin, it came from heaven, that he was in fact the divine Son of God incarnated into human flesh, then there's no problem concerning the supernatural phenomenon that surrounds it. If you believe that God was manifest in the flesh, if you believe that this was a miraculous thing never before that took place among the human race or ever would again, this wondrous, miraculous virgin conception and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have any problem 
with the phenomenon surrounding it. Matter of fact, I like what someone said one time, I think several of us preachers were talking together, and, and one of them said, you know, if you believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you won't have any problem believing all the rest of Scripture and all the miracles in it. Gabriel communicates the message of God to Mary when he says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Then an unnamed angel appears to Joseph in verse 20. While Joseph, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee. Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The angels appeared to the shepherds also after the Lord's birth, we know, in Luke chapter 2. Declares to them unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. And then there was a specially created star that led the Gentile from the Gentile leaders, the Magi they were called, a delegation, we don't know how many there were. They had three gifts. We know they weren't at any manger. They came much later to the house where the Lord Jesus was. But they came being led by a created star to Bethlehem. Heaven itself must have been incredibly moved to great commotion at the mystery which lay at the foundation of genuine biblical Christianity. God was manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But with all of this, yet in our passage, the great and stupendous announcement is made to Joseph. Why? Chiefly as the reason he's to go on with his marriage. He's not to put her away. It's not what he thinks and what appeared to be. While he thought on these things, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She's been with no other. She loved no other man. She's not carnally uh, committed any sin with another man. This great mystery, which lay at the very foundation of true biblical Christianity is given in a few brief words with colossal meaning. <laughs> and don't we find that sometimes, can you not stop and meditate upon a verse of Scripture, really start thinking about it, pondering it, seeing its connections, and you find out in a few brief words it's amazing what can be said and the meanings that can come out of it in Scripture. I know over all these years of ministry, Endeavoring prayerfully to prepare for the ministry of the Word of God and uh, looking into passages of Scripture, 
at, at first I'll begin to think, well, I'll take this certain amount of verses and, uh, and this passage and we'll deal with that. And uh, there'll be a lot of message to come out of it. And when I begin doing it, I can't get past one verse. It's incredible what can be in the scripture. So, a few words, colossal meaning. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Of course, Matthew explains that this was that which filled up the prophecy God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, which we considered, of course, earlier today, which prophecy showed the reason the nation itself would be spared from destruction at that time, because God would keep his promise of sending the Redeemer, his Messiah, of the royal line of David, into the world. Christ would be from the royal line of David through his mother, Mary. He would be legally the inheritor of the royal crown, if you please, through Joseph. Legally. Two great facts must be realized. If the Lord Jesus was to be in the position to, quote, save his people from their sins, both of these things required the true miracle of virgin birth. Though he be God, then he must also be Emmanuel, God with us, which means he must take our humanity into union with his deity. I can't comprehend that. I don't know anybody who could. The eternal God whose power is so incredible that Job has to say, and you look at the whole created universe and just a smidgen, a small portion of God's power. His glory that's set above the heavens. How God could come into human flesh without destroying it, I don't know. <laughs> like the burning bush that was not consumed. In the infinite wisdom of God and the power of God, he humbled himself. The greatest of humility ever took upon him no reputation. Taking our flesh and blood, for as much as the children are flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. When he came into this world, He came into this world as deity, taking humanity into union 
with his flesh. With all human limitations. Human needs. I can't comprehend that. Yet he was God. He was God manifest in the flesh. The beginning of the gospel in John's gospel, he begins in eternity past when he says, in the beginning was the word. When the beginning began, the word was already there because he began the beginning. <laughs> I'm not going to say that again. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> but in John's gospel, he begins in the gospel when the Lord became man. And he says that which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. And he must be free from the defilement of sin. If he's going to save us, he cannot be a sinner and save us. He's going to have to be the lamb without blemish and without spot. He's going to have to be perfectly holy. We can't comprehend that. We live in such a world that's filled with filth. If you're not careful, you can let your eyes and your ears in things that will deter you from what's right. And they won't be affecting you like they did him. The more we become like him, the more we are careful what we see, what we hear, what we allow. The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, must be free from the defilement of sin, sin which came through Adam and through Adam to all the human race. In all of the world's history, no mere man could say what he said because no one lived as he lived. I do always, he says, those things which please the Father. Never without break. And again, when it time, the time has come for the cross, the greatest act of obedience ever the act of obedience that would secure our imputed righteousness in the work of God's grace. By one man, sin entered into the world. By the, obedience, by the disobedience of one, many were made sinners. By the obedience of one, many are made righteous. When it comes time, for the greatest obedience and the greatest act of obedience ever, the cross. Herein I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You can't say that. I can't say that. Not a single human being on the face of the earth can say that. The greatest preacher that's ever lived cannot say that. The one who's on the bottom of all of them can't say that. But he could. The prince of this world, the old adversary, the god of this world with the little g, cometh 
and hath nothing in me. The commentator William Hendrickson told the story of an unbeliever who asked a, a Christian this question. Thought he'd pin him down. If I should tell you that a child was born in this city without a father, would you believe it? The Christian answered, Yes, if he should live as Jesus lived. What a tremendous answer. So, with all of this great mystery, the Word, who was with God and was God, made flesh. Yet it was not by his birth that he would save his people from their sins. It was by his death. He could have come, lived a perfect life, ascended to heaven apart from the cross. No one would be saved. There would be no salvation. There would be no deliverance from sin. There would be no gift of the Holy Spirit to guide and lead those who are begotten of God. By his death and by his resurrection, his living again in resurrection glory to apply the salvation to all that God gave him to redeem, save, and make his own forever. He was in the form of God. The angelic host recognized him as deity. However, he manifested himself as God to them. But he laid aside that form, not as deity, the way he was manifested, the glorious manifestation of him as deity. He laid that aside, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even in that, Lord, when you compare it to New Testament passages, is implication of deity. He lives to save those for whom he died. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's my only hope. How about yours? That salvation is in his sovereign hands. In that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. He lives to save us. So when we get fearful, when we 
fight with unbelief. You ever fight with unbelief? Anybody ever honest enough to say they fight with unbelief sometimes? Well, it's not your fight that saves you. It's your Lord who lives to save, to apply his salvation. And yeah, Bob, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We're in his hands. He redeemed us by his blood. He's not going to lose us. <laughs> we might battle. We might have battles with sin, with lust. We might have to have strong battles at times and, and know how to resist those things that come against our relationship to him and learn the art of trusting him in the midst of the battle, but it's he who keeps us. We're going to falter. When he allows us to falter, he teaches us that we cannot trust ourselves. We have to keep looking only to him. He's our Savior. And as his name, Jesus, this means he's the Savior the Savior who is Jehovah himself. Like in the Old Testament, Jehoshua. But he was never called by the Hebrew name. He was called by the Greek name, Jesus. But the Hebrew equivalent is Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. He is Savior because he is Jehovah who came into this world and took upon him our humanity that he might take us to the cross our humanity and in our place bear our sins redeem us with his blood call us by his spirit make us his own washing away our sins forever. Jesus the Savior who is Jehovah he shall accomplish that salvation in all of those God chose scattered throughout all of this world. So here is the only hope of mankind. Here's the only remedy for the awful, devastating problem of sin that God by grace puts into your heart such a faith that will trust Jesus Christ only. They will trust him alone and him crucified who alone can reconcile you to God. No one else can. And to whom you must in faith trust and call upon to save you. He is salvation. He is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Even when we stumble along in the path not deliberately, because the child of God does not want to sin. And when we stumble along, stumble, we have an advocate with the Father. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's our salvation. He is our salvation. Joseph... As the last two verses show, we'll read those last two verses in Matthew 1. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. 
and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, now knowing who was in Mary's womb, took her to be his wife. And thus he would take Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, soon into his own arms, into his home, into his heart. So must we. I want him to occupy supreme place in my home. I don't want those things in my household that would deter fellowship and communion with him. I don't want to become slack and allow things in mind and heart and sight that deter from walking with him and eventually will ruin you or me unless they're kept away. Would you, would I, want him in our home? If someone come into our home, they're not going to look around and find things of, of vileness and sin. They're going to be indications that we belong to another, that we're his. Stay around us long enough. They're going to hear that the language we speak is not simply about the things that we experience in this world. It's going to revolve around the glory of our Lord and his salvation. Because he's in our home. And because he's in our heart. And because he's taken us in his arms. And we trust him only. And we believe him. And we can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Well, I'm sure glad God knows how to straighten things out. How to solve dilemmas. And Mary kind of stuck, struck me as I read the passage instead of saying anything at all to Joseph when she knew she was with child of the Holy Spirit went to her cousin Elizabeth's house and trusted God and God took care of the problem she was a woman of great faith Joseph was a young man of great faith God help us to believe trust and act upon it to show that we do so. May the Lord be pleased to bless the ministry of his holy word.